What a wonderful Savior we have. Amen? In a few moments, a little bit later in our service, we're going to be having communion together. And so if you need to pick up the elements, they're back there for you. And I encourage you to pick those up uh, now if you could. Many of you, it looks like you already have. And uh, a little bit later after the message, we're going to be having communion together. And we would love for you to be able to participate with us. Some powerful, some powerful words in that song. Amen. And uh, our desire every week, but especially today, is to, to remember Christ and to exalt him and to, to lift him up. And so we'll be doing that today, exalting Christ and lifting him up. Can you hear me? Doesn't sound so good, does it? It's wrestling season. And so uh, this is my coaching voice today, what's left of it. And uh, so we had competed Thursday night, two, two team duels, and then all day Friday, all day Saturday. So I think I coached approximately about 200 matches in the last three days. Um, and so now I'm here, this is what you get. You get the leftover, all right? So bear with me. The only good thing about wrestling season is you guys get short sermons, amen? Because that's all my voice has. So everyone, the church is looking forward to wrestling season because we get short sermons during that time. And this will be a, a much shorter message today because we're going to use this to kind of segue into having communion together here in just a little bit. And so I want to kind of just share a passage, a couple of passages of scripture with you this morning. We'll be in Matthew 26. We're going to look at verses 26 through 30. And this is when Jesus is in the upper room. And when he institutes the Lord's Supper, this time of, of communion, the first time they ever celebrated communion together. And now for thousands of years, uh, we have been remembering Christ through communion. And so we're going to go to Matthew 26, and we'll have the scripture there for you as well. 26 through 30, the Bible says this. It says, and as they were eating, and we'll talk a little bit in a moment what they were eating and why they were eating. We'll talk about that in a moment. But as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and he blessed it. it means he gave thanks over it. He blessed it. He gave thanks. And he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. It says, and then he took the cup and notice this statement again. He gave thanks. He blesses it once again. He gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of notice this new covenant, the New Testament, a new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission or for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, he says, I will not drink of this through the vine from now on until the day in which I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, I want you to notice this phrase, to me a very powerful phrase, one that is often just overlooked, and many of us have read this and heard this many times, but maybe we've never considered this. I want you to notice it says this, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I want to just speak for just a few minutes this morning 
on this, this subject when Jesus sang. When Jesus sang. Have you ever considered what did Jesus sing? What song did he sing? And so let's ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. But think about this, this statement when Jesus sang. What did he sing? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would bless your word this morning. In the short time that we have, I pray that most importantly, Lord Jesus, that you would be lifted up, that you would be exalted. I pray that you would uh, move in our hearts and in our lives today, that we would appreciate all that you have done for us. In a few moments, as we will take the bread and we will take the juice and we will remember your sacrifice for us, I pray that we would allow our hearts and minds to go back to the upper room, to this time, intimate time with your disciples. May we get a glimpse of what the disciples saw and what the disciples heard and how, how it is that you set such a great example for us in your last moments, in your last hours with your disciples. You set a tremendous example of how we ought to live and how we should conduct our lives as followers of Christ. So bless your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So go back with me a couple thousand years to the upper room. Jesus is with his disciples, and why is he in this upper room? Well, the scripture tells us, here's kind of the key, a little bit sooner in this chapter, in Matthew chapter 26, the Bible tells us, uh, in verses 17 through 19, that this is why they were gathering. It says this, Now on the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand, and I will keep Passover at your house with my disciples. And so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them. And notice this, they prepare the Passover. So the reason why Jesus is now in this borrowed, maybe possibly rented upper room is he's having and celebrating a very precious time for the Jewish people, the time of Passover. I won't go in great detail, but the Passover is important. It's because this is the time uh, that they were celebrating when God delivered e uh, Israel or the Jewish people out of bondage in Egypt. Do you somewhat remember a little bit about that history of the Jewish people that they were in bondage? And for hundreds of years they were enslaved and they were in bondage and there was a Pharaoh that literally tormented them and, and they lived uh, as slaves and they were literally living in slavery. And they cried out to God and they asked God to deliver them. And we, many of you know the story of Moses and how Moses, who was, who was ordained by God and by God's sovereign hand, was going to be the one to deliver them. And so Moses now comes back with Aaron. And when he comes back to the land, he, he says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And you know, Pharaoh being a picture of the enemy, being a picture of Satan, Pharaoh never wants to let the people go. And so we went through a series of the plagues. They went through the ten plagues. And the last plague was this. It was that of the death of the oldest child. And so God said that he will send the death angel into the land of Egypt. 
And that everyone who would shed the blood of an innocent animal, that they would take that, 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 that lamb and they would shed the blood of the lamb and they would put the blood upon the doorpost, on the sides and the top, the top of the doorpost. And so this is where we get the word, the term, think about it, Passover. That when the death angel came into the camp, and when the death angel came into the land of Egypt, that as the death angel passed through, that anyone by faith who trusted in God's plan that took the blood of an innocent lamb and placed that blood upon the doorpost, that death angel would pass over that residence. It was then through that plague, if you will, and through that time of Passover that God used that moment to, to get to Pharaoh's heart to finally say, okay, you can let my people go. And so we let them go. And we see there that that is a beautiful picture of salvation. Amen. It was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ at the time of Passover. As he said to his disciples, when he said, go get the room because my time is at hand. The time of the one true sacrifice for all sins that Jesus Christ will become our Passover lamb. Amen. And so Jesus becomes our Passover lamb. That's what he's saying here in this upper room is he's using this, this time in the divine time, a sovereign time, a time that, that God had already ordained that at the time of Passover that Jesus Christ would become the Passover lamb. He says, my time is at hand. And he says, I desire to have this union and fellowship with you. And so in this borrowed upper room, he has an intimate time with his disciples. They thought it was all about celebrating the Passover, but Jesus says, oh no, we will celebrate the Passover, but I want you to understand something. There's a new testament. There's a new covenant. The Passover is what we celebrated in the old covenant, but there is a new testament, a new covenant, one far more superior than the old covenant. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. He will offer himself as the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. And so we see that in this upper room, it is here where he takes the bread and he gives thanks and he prays over it and he breaks it. He says, this is going to be my body, which will be broken for you. And they're still not fully comprehending what's going to take place. And then he, he says that my body will be broken for you. Then he takes the juice. He takes the wine and he takes the wine and he drinks. And he, after he gives thanks again a second time and he passes it around to his disciples, he says, this is, this is the, the covenant, this new covenant this, that is sealed in my very own blood. And then the scripture gives us an interesting statement. I think there's a couple things that I think we can take from this. One is, in this time of Christ's last hours, we see him giving thanks. Two times the Bible says he gave thanks. But something else that's very unique that the scripture points out that the disciples share with us as they're in this time of, of communion with Christ is they say that they, he sung a hymn, that they sang, and then when they sing this song, he goes out to the Mount of Olives where he knows he will be betrayed where he goes to pray, and by the way, even in his prayer, 
He prayed for his disciples, but he prayed for you and I as well. It says they sung a hymn and they went out. I wonder what that song was. Some of you old Baptists, you think it's amazing grace. But it wasn't amazing grace. It wasn't written yet, okay? So if it was an amazing grace, what song or what hymn did they sing? Have you ever considered this? Have you ever thought about what this song might have been? Well, remember, it's the time of the Passover. During the time of the Passover, they were called a Passover Seder. It's a time where they gathered together. And there's, we don't have time to go into it, but there was many different kind of segments and different things that they were doing. But what they were doing is they were remembering the Passover. They were remembering God's deliverance for their people, for the Jewish people. And so it's interesting, but the Psalms that they would have sang were these Psalms. Psalms chapter 113 all the way through Psalms 118. At the beginning of the Passover Seder, and many of the Hebrew people, Jewish people, still do it to this day. For many generations up to the time of Christ, they would sing these psalms. Psalm 113 speaks of, uh, of, of, of the goodness of God. Psalm 114 speaks of their deliverance from Egypt. So at the beginning, they would sing Psalms 113, 114. Then at the middle, sometime in the middle of the Passover meal, they would then sing Psalms 115, Psalm 116. We won't take time to read all of those. I encourage you this week in your own reading, they're, they're short psalms, they're powerful psalms, but to read them. But I'd like to highlight just a few of the verses, just a few of the passages that Jesus sang when it says this, that they sang this hymn, this psalm, and then they departed. You want to hear some of the words that they sang? Psalm 117, 1 and 2. As Jesus is about to now go to the garden, he knows his path. He knows he will be betrayed. He knows that he will be lied about. He knows that he will be beaten. He knows that he will be stripped naked. He knows that he will uh, have his beard plucked out. He knows that they will put a crown of thorns into his head. He knows that he will die a cruel death of crucifixion. He knows that his own father will turn his back upon him. He knows that in the next few moments, as he goes into the garden, the weight of, of sin and, and all of the guilt of all mankind will be placed upon him. And listen to the, some of the words that he says. You see, this psalm, Psalms 113 through Psalm 118, are referred to as the Halil Psalms. It's where we get the word hallelujah. Does anyone know what the word hallelujah means? I believe it's a universal word in almost every language. The word hallelujah means this, praise ye the Lord. He sings these Hallel psalms that they would sing every year for many years, for many generations at the time of Passover. You know, when Jesus was a little boy, at 12 years of age, at the time of Passover, he came to Jerusalem. You remember that story? I wonder what went through the mind and heart of Christ, even as a 12-year-old boy, 
as he sang these songs, knowing that someday that he would be the fulfillment of the Halil Psalms. In Psalm chapter 117, 1 and 2, the scripture says this, let all peoples, here's the Halil or the Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All you, can you say the word with me? That's you and I. That's you and I. It was a praise not only for the Jewish people, but he says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Say it with me. Praise ye the Lord. He was calling out the fact that his goodness, his kindness, his mercy will be shared with the Gentiles. That is many of us, that is you and I today. Not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. That God is a a gracious God. And he says, praise the Lord. You see, Jesus was going to be the fulfillment and is the fulfillment of these hallelujah psalms, of these halil psalms. Verse 2, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. The truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise you, Lord. Look at Psalm chapter 118. Just a few verses from Psalm 118, verse 1. Praise to God for his everlasting mercy. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Look at some of the other Psalms found in this chapter as well. Uh, look at verse 22 through verse 24. Psalm 118, 22 through 24. Notice Jesus is the fulfillment of this. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Who is that? Who is the chief cornerstone that was rejected? The Lord Jesus Christ. Here is a prophecy. Jesus is going to fulfill this prophecy. This was the Lord's doing. It was all a part of God's sovereign hand and God's sovereign plan. It is marvelous in our eyes. Look at Psalm, uh, same chapter, verse 26 through 29. Oh, wait, verse 24. I love this. I almost missed this. I apologize. Think about what Jesus said here. This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Look at Psalm 118, 26 through 29, the Bible says this. Blessed he is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let me pause for a moment. What happened just a few days before this? The day of Passover, a few days before, Jesus on a Sunday comes riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem. And do you remember what the people said? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they began to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were crying out, he he is our king. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Do you understand that Jesus is the fulfillment? Why? Because they were singing these psalms during this time of Passover. And when they saw Jesus Christ coming in, they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, they they thought that Jesus was there to deliver them from Rome. And when Jesus didn't deliver them from Rome, and Jesus said, that is not why I'm here. 
I am here on a greater purpose and a greater mission. And the greater purpose and greater mission is not to set you free from Rome, but to set you free from the evil one. I am here to set you free so that you can have eternal life through Christ. I am here to deliver you from the consequences and the penalty of sin. That is why I'm here. And when Christ did not set them, for him, them free from Rome, they turned on him. The Bible says that they... That he came unto his own, but his what? Own received him not. And they turned on him. That great mob of people, that crowd of people who proclaimed that you are Hosanna, Hosanna. You know, oh, praise. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They turned on him. And they cried out, crucify him. Crucify him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It says, God is, is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind this sacrifice with, cord, with cords toward the horns of the altar. Jesus is going to be that sacrifice. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Jesus sets a great example to you and I on how we should live our Christian lives. And that is simply this, that when you look at the last moments and the last hours of, of Christ and his ministry here on earth, as he's in this intimate time with his disciples, as he knows all that he's about to go through, what do we see him doing? We see him praising God. We see him giving thanks. Twice in that passage, we see that Jesus, he gave thanks. And he set an example for us that in spite of where we are and what's going on in our lives, that we as God's people, we as followers of Jesus Christ, that in, in, in the midst of all that we're going through, may I challenge you to look at the example of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Philippians that he is our great example. And he is the example to follow. And when you look at what Christ is going through, what does he do in, in that dark moment, if you will, and when he's getting ready to face all that he's going to face and he knows what he's going to go through, he still takes time and he cries out to his heavenly father and he gives thanks. You say, I have nothing to give thanks for. May I say to you this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have much to be thankful for. And you can thank him for the fact that he shed his blood and you are set free from the penalty of sin. Amen, church? And so he gave thanks. The other thing that we see is that Jesus sang. The idea is this, is that he... He gave thanks, but he praised God. He said, praise God for who God is. And he sang. Knowing he would be betrayed, knowing he would be falsely accused, knowing that he would be denied, knowing that he would be forsaken and all alone, knowing that he would be beaten, knowing that he would be spit upon, knowing that he will be crucified in the most cruel death, knowing that he would literally be hung naked before the world, knowing that he would be humiliated. What does Jesus do? He sings praise and he gives God glory. He praises God in the midst of his circumstances. And what an example that is for us. Amen, church? 
He says this, praise the Lord for his mercy and kindness. He says, give thanks for he, for God is good. This is the day that the Lord hath made. And he says, I will rejoice and be glad in it. These were the songs that Jesus sang. Praising him and exalting him and giving thanks. This morning, we're going to take just a few moments. Remember all that Christ has done for us. May we as a church body today say this. This is the day that the Lord hath made. No matter what in the world we're going through, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Whatever you're going through, let us think of the example of Christ. Right now, you may be carrying a heavy burden. You may be faced with tough choices and tough decisions. Right now, you may be carrying a heavy load. Can I tell you something? God is good. He loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his one and only son. He loves you. He knows what you're going through. And when we take just a few moments, can you truly from a true and sincere heart, in the midst of whatever it is that you're struggling with, can you do this? Can you do what Jesus did for a few moments and give thanks? Let me tell you something. It will bring healing. It will bring comfort. It will bring peace. Give thanks. The Bible says that as Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, he took the bread. Would you take out the bread? And I'll give you just a moment. Would you take out the bread and just hold it for a few moments? you look at the bread, remember the body of Christ. As Jesus took the bread, he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples. He said, here, take this, eat this in remembrance of me. But before he did, he gave thanks. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for truly you are a good God. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you willingly gave of yourself. You gave your all. We thank you, Lord, for your body that was broken, Lord, for us. Lord, we thank you for your unconditional love toward us. Lord, in the midst of all the struggles of life, we take a moment as Christ did and we give thanks. In Jesus' name. Would you eat the bread with me this morning? Would you take the juice? Would you look at the juice just for a moment? Remember the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ. 
Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. Forgive us for where we forget to give thanks. Forgive us for where we oftentimes go days and weeks without remembering your sacrifice for us. We thank you for your blood, the precious blood, Emmanuel, God's blood. You are the spotless, precious lamb of God. the blood of Christ which cleanses from all sin. We thank you. We thank you for this new covenant and this new testament that was sealed in your very own blood. In Jesus' name, would you drink with me this morning? I'd like to read one more passage of scripture. I don't have it there. Many of you will know this passage. Because of the finished work of Christ and all that Christ has done for us, the Bible says that Jesus Christ, the book of Hebrews, says that he is our great high priest. It's a whole other sermon, but Jesus Christ is greater, is what Hebrews says. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the law. And he is greater than all the other priests because he is the one true high priest. Okay? So in Numbers chapter 6, I'd like to read you a priestly blessing. It says in Numbers 6, 20 through 22 through down through verse 27, there's this priestly blessing that Moses was commanded by God to have Aaron and all the priests to give this blessing to God's people, to the children of Israel. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites. Notice what God says, and I will bless them. Can I say to you this morning, follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is our high priest. It is he who now gives us, you and I, his followers, his people, this blessing. It is Jesus Christ himself who blesses you and says this, the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And may I remind us of something, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, he mentions here that they had the, that God's name was on the people of Israel. But can I say this to you? We are so honored because Jesus Christ is our high priest. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, his name is upon us. Amen. We have the privilege to be called a Christian, to be, to, to be a follower of Christ. And his name is upon you. The Bible says that his spirit, he seals you. You are his. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Amen.
and may his face shine upon you. Would you stand with me this morning? I'd like to have a closing word of prayer, but I want you to really think about the words to this song that we're about to sing, and we're going to sing this as a closing hymn, closing chorus together this morning.